0: in those times of grief and difficulty and hardship and, and all of that, we have to be reminded of what is true and that truth that Jesus just spoke into us is that God the Father loves you. And the Bible always points us back to the proof of it and that is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 six. this is how we know that Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. When we begin tonight, I want to read for the first verse before we get into the the first few verses is the key verse to this whole thing is um, verse 33. It says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so, these things that Jesus has said, that's what we're going to be looking at over the the chapter itself, in chapter 16. What are the things that Jesus has said to give us peace? And he gives a lot of bad news, and then he gives some good news. And so, Jesus in his conversation with his disciples. Welcome to church, everyone. In his conversation with his disciples, he's going to be brutally honest with them about what is going to follow in the days ahead. I mean, We're hours um, from his arrest, his um, trial, uh, the scourging that he will experience. We're, we're right um, in that 24-hour period as we head into to these next chapters. So he's going to be brutally honest with them about what it is to follow Jesus in the next few years for them. Um, and what it's going to look like in the days ahead. And he doesn't want them to be caught off guard or stumbled by what is about to take place. And so he says in verse one, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. My dad likes to text me every, every Thursday night, right in the middle of what I'm teaching. Every Thursday, he knows that I teach. Okay, okay. Dad, if you're listening to this, which you aren't because you don't know how to use a podcast, I love you. All right. So, (laughs) and these things that will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me, but these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Jesus begins to describe to them what the next few years will look like. And he tells them they will be put out of the synagogue. They'll be kicked out of church. And for us in this culture, this day and age, Southern California, there's churches everywhere. I mean, you can walk that way, not this way in the Basilica, but if you walk that way, you can like hit a decent Bible teaching church. If you walk that way, you're going to hit some different churches. You walk that way, I mean, or drive, you're going to hit a number of different churches. And it's never been like a problem. Uh, I think as Southern Californians, they were like, I don't really like this church. There's one down the street, I'll find a new one. For them, that's not necessarily a reality. For them to be kicked out of a synagogue means that they were kicked out and branded as an outcast from their family, from their culture, from their society. Everyone that they knew was now to ostracize them and account them as apostate. Like they weren't to be talked to. They weren't to be, uh, they would have funerals for them as though they had died because they're just, they're gone, man. They left the church and they would cast them out. And so for them to, to be told that they're going to be thrown out of church and branded as an outcast was a real heavy thing for them. Uh, it still happens today in different countries where people are, you know, who identify with Jesus. And because they identify with Jesus, their families just, we, we don't talk to you anymore. You're, you're dead to us. You have, we have nothing to do with you anymore to embrace that kind of life and um And this is why the early church met in homes. They weren't welcome in synagogues anymore. And so they would find these homes. If you read the book of Philemon, Philemon was a wealthy landowner who had a huge home. The church in Colossae, where he lived, that's where they met. That was where the church met, in his house. Um, If you read just the different accounts in the book of Acts, the early church had to meet in homes because they were ostracized and cast out from the community of of the Jews and they were like not allowed in. It was a big deal for them. They lost their family. They lost their friends. They would lose everything. Peter was actually married. You remember he has a mother-in-law. And as you read the rest of the Gospels and you read the book of Acts, there's no mention of his wife anymore. He was cast out of the synagogue. Perhaps his wife was like, you're dead to me. The Apostle Paul, being a rabbi, was supposed to be married in order to take that position. And he says, I wish that all men were single as I am, right? There's a, a point where we're like, wait, why is Paul single? Shouldn't he be, his wife perhaps left him when he was cast out of the synagogue, when he identified his life with Jesus. So this is a real reality. There is a cost that is involved in following Jesus And he makes them very much aware of that cost. But I want you to realize something, that God never minimalizes, nor does he wash over real pain. And the Bible never asks us, God never asks us, to pretend as though things aren't really painful. The Bible doesn't say, like, your pain doesn't matter. When in fact, God will pause an entire story and he'll zoom in in his word upon someone who is hurting and distressed and outcast, and he will highlight that life because God cares and He sees. And so in this moment of, of this conversation with his disciples, he's reminding them that this is going to be your reality. they're going to cast you out, and also they're going to kill you, like from bad to worse <laughs> They're going to cast you out. And then, and then um, small thing, they're going to kill you. And when they're killing you, they're actually thinking that they're serving God. That they're doing this in the name of, of God. And Saul of Tarsus was that guy. He imprisoned Christians. Dragged them into the courts. Killed them. I mean, there was no greater enemy to the name of Jesus than Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle. And he believed in his heart of hearts that he was doing it in the name of Jesus. Or sorry, he was doing it for God, not Jesus. He was doing it for God. That's what he believed. In all sincerity, but sincerely wrong in his attempt in serving God. And so Jesus makes them aware of this. But in that little detail that Jesus gives us, when they kill you, he says, they will think that they offer God service. There's this this grace that Jesus extends And even in and while he's hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This incredible grace to them that they thought what they were doing was serving God. And Jesus says, They're gonna do the same thing to you. And Jesus in that I I could sense it in, I don't know if in reading it and just my own interpretation of it, and reading in it, you read this gracious tone in his voice. They're doing it, and they think they're serving God. And there's this grace and this compassion in his voice. And I love that the story of the Apostle Paul, how God reached into his life. He didn't just smash him and just like destroy him and be like, there, now the church can flourish. He reached into his life. He turned him around. God God poured out grace upon the Apostle Paul Yes, he suffered greatly for the Lord, but God used his life in such a mighty and powerful way. It's such a testimony to God's grace for us. But he says to them, but these things I have told you that you, um, that you won't stumble in the time in which it comes. And these things I did not say to you in the beginning because I was with you, because I was, I was here with you. And he's leading into his next point here that I was with you in the beginning and I'm going to be leaving now. Okay, so good news don't be troubled. It's going to be cool. You're going to be cast out of the synagogues and you're going, to, you're going to die. Bad news. Good news is help is coming help is coming right in the the verses previously in verse 26 of chapter 15 it says but when the helper comes whom i shall send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will testify of me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning so he talks about this helper who is coming in chapter 14 verse 16 he says to them excuse me he says to them And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. In verse 25 of that same chapter, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And so there's this promise along with the reality of suffering. He says there's the promise of the helper who is to come. And so when Jesus says to him, I've told you these things, right, that you may have peace in me. What are those things? And that's what I want to consider with you this evening. What are the things that Jesus has promised to us or told us will come and why we should not sorrow? Number one is the work of the Holy Spirit. The promise and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He says that there is a promise of help that is to come. He's called the helper. He's called the comforter. And his name actually means someone that comes alongside to assist with divine strength. Divine strength. And the reality of this promise is Jesus says to his disciples, Although I am leaving, I do not leave you alone and you are not helpless. But I send you the helper. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And abide with us, and we know that from Acts chapter 2. The, there in the upper room, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out in power. And if you look at the, the ministry of the disciples there in the beginning in the Gospels, and you look at the ministry of the disciples there in the book of Acts, there's a, a big difference just in the character of Peter himself. Later, Peter's Jesus already told Peter, You're going to deny me three times, and there on the day of Pentecost, where he's confronted again, now filled with the Holy Spirit. There he is on the day of Pentecost. We're like, you're a bunch of drunks, a bunch of losers. You guys are crazy. And he says, hey, we're not crazy. We're with <laughs> the Holy Spirit. And he preaches this message. He preaches the gospel in such a powerful and bold way that was unlike anything he had done before. And it was because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And which propelled them for the rest of their ministry. And each of them was martyred for their faith. Peter was crucified, but he was crucified upside down. Imagine, as, if we're going to study through the crucifixion, and imagine that process, but upside down, hanging with your head towards the ground. Peter said, I'm unworthy to die like my Lord. And so he says, turn the cross over. Other disciples were drugged through the cities behind horses until they died. I mean, they were beaten with sticks. Until, some of them were fed to dogs. I mean, it's just, what they went through it seems like, like, wow, wouldn't you be shaken in that moment and, and begin to stumble? And Jesus, when he says this to him, in those moments, I want you to remember what I've told you. This is going to happen. But do not lose heart. You will have peace in me because the Holy Spirit is with you. He's with you. He's in you. He's upon you. And he's with you always. In verse 5 of, of chapter 16, it says, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you are going. But because I have said these things to you you sorrow or, or sorry sorrow has filled your heart nevertheless I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for if I, for, 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 for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I depart I will send him to you and when he has come he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because they because I go to my father And you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. He was leaving and he says, it is actually to your advantage that I go. And you think, what could possibly be better than having the physical presence of Jesus, our Lord, with us? Well, Jesus says it's to your advantage. Unless... Jesus left, meaning he went to the cross, there would be no salvation for us. There would be no hope for us. And he says to him, it's necessary for me to go. And it's necessary for you to go through this difficulty because what's on the other side of it will be far greater and far better and will do more than we've done in these last three years. He was human. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. And therefore he was limited in that physical body to a geographical location. One location, one place, one time. He says, if I go, the Holy Spirit will dwell in us and will spread throughout the entirety of the known world. The gospel, the presence of God will go out from this place. It was, is a symbol of the temple that when the veil is torn in the Holy of Holies that no longer was God's presence only restricted to one location but it dwelt within the people that believed in him. His spirit living in us that goes where you go. Meaning we can take the gospel, we can take the presence of God to the uttermost parts of the earth no longer restricted in one location. And he would empower them for service. For more would be accomplished than what Jesus had done walking on the earth in those three years. More would be done for the kingdom of God in Jesus leaving than him staying. It's fascinating. And Jesus says, this is to your advantage that I go. Because when the helper comes, a greater work would be done. Remember what what Jesus said to um, Nathaniel. When Nathaniel was was talking to, or Jesus came to Nathaniel and he's like, ah, an Israelite of, of who there is no guile. And Nathaniel was like, You don't know me? You don't know me? Like, why are you talking to me like that? In like, paraphrase. You know, why are you talking? To, you don't know who I am? And he's like, Before, before I saw you when you were under the fig tree, and he's like, You're God. I knew it. You're I knew you're God. <laughs> I just convinced. It. I knew you're God. I knew it. Totally convinced at this moment. And Jesus says, you're convinced because of that, you're going to see greater things than this. Like, this is nothing. And it was actually going to be through Nathaniel that God would do a greater thing. And so that same spirit, and here's the fascinating thing, okay? That same spirit that fell on the day of Pentecost, that hasn't stopped on that day. We are a continuation of that ministry. That day, till the present we are currently in that church age. Because of that day and that pouring out and those guys' obedience to the Lord, we now sit here in this room giving God glory and praising his name. As we sing hymns of old and to, to kind of touch our roots to those who wrote songs about God, what he was doing in their time in the 1800s. I mean, those are songs that are so stinking old, right? But we've revamped them to sound cooler. Uh, but but we, they're such old songs, but they're deep with rich theological truths. And those were written by our our brothers and sisters in Christ who experienced the same outpouring of the Spirit there because of the day of Pentecost. I mean, the, it just continues on. And we think, well, what could be better than that? We are proof of what was better. Because Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came, who not only filled the disciples, who not only filled our ancestors, who not only filled our brothers and sisters in the 1800s, and John, George Whitfield and John Edwards, and all these men, but that same Spirit dwells in you and in me. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same that dwells within us. And you can read these stories and be like, wow, that's amazing how they do that. Same Holy Spirit that's been given to you, the same Holy Spirit that's been given to me. It dwells in us. It's the same, hasn't changed. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, what could possibly be better? The Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Obviously, like you're going to die and be persecuted. I don't know if I could take much more. And he says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit not only will empower them, um, will be with them always, but he will guide them into all truth. And what a wonderful promise that is. Not only is Satan judged, right? He says, of judgment, because the rule of this world has been judged. In verse 11, Satan was judged at the cross. He's defeated. He lost. And he says to them, the spirit of truth will guide you in those days. There is a battle for truth right now. Everything, everywhere you look, like fake news and fake news stories and all this crazy stuff. And Do you know why there's so much like talk of fake news? And, and, and what we have is like this soft power war and all these different things that are going on. It's because there's, there's this desire to, for America to die within. Like for us to explode within our own walls. It's not going to be from some kind of military attack. It's from us going to, we're going to devour each other. And that's the desire of, of, these, of our enemies and stuff like that. And so you have these fake news stories that come in and, and different things like that. And I don't want to go too far. No, we're going to talk about it. Okay, so, so there are these things, right? There's, um, let's talk about things that are going on in our country now. Ra- racial tension, right? Racial issues. We got women's rights issues. We got all these different things where people are like, yeah, bro, and there's all these different parties and like Facebook groups for like left-handed midgets. And they're like, yeah, we need power. We need power. And Black Lives Matter, and this matters, and this matters, right? A lot of what's, and people just share video after video after video, and they're like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. You know, they're tracing some of these videos back to China and Russia, and they're made in troll factories. They're not real. And you're thinking like, why is this a big deal? What's happening and what they're trying to do is is China and Russia are trying to create more and more chaos in our country. So what already exists in, in, in our country, they're trying to excite it and create more and more fire in our country so that we explode within. And they're fake videos. They're fake things. They're not real. It's the same way that the devil wars against us. We already have these things in our heart. Jealousy. Hatred, lying, all of that exists within our flesh. And so the the devil will plant a little, just a little fire again, just to excite it, just to get it going. And what it creates is more and more chaos in our heart. That's what he does. And so this is why there's such a battle for what is true. And that's why we need to read the Bible to know what is true. Because he will lie to us. He's the father of lies, the Bible tells us. But there is a, an attack on truth today. The agnostic says that you can't know truth, which is interesting because it contradicts himself in that he just claimed a truth. So if he says you can't know truth, how do you know? Right? It, it defeats itself. It's stupid. Like right? no one can know truth. Do you really mean that? Do you think that's true? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Someone will say there is no absolute truth, right? Right? The postmodernism says that there is no particular truth, that all are true, and, and things like that. And what they're saying is that their truth is the, the ultimate truth, that there is no truth. Does that you get that one? I know I'm super smart. You're like, wow. I read it in a book. Uh, <laughs> like that's what they're saying. They're, Everyone is right. Everything is true. Everyone has, you know, every, all roads lead, blah, blah, blah. What they're saying is that there there is no ultimate truth. There is no absolute truth. And I mean that absolutely. It defeats itself. It's ridiculous. The pluralist says that all truths are valid. Like, that's okay for you to have that idea of truth. That's wonderful. Glad that you have that. We need to be welcoming of all different kinds of truths. Well, what that does is fly in the face of the law of contradictions that says that you can't have something be both A and B at the same time. So if they're saying everyone is true, that goes against the law that says that that cannot be. There cannot be everything is true. So it defeats himself. And here's the point. There is an absolute truth. But there's a whole lot of lies out there. You need to know the truth. And God said, by His grace, His Spirit will lead us into all truth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. His Spirit will lead us in, meaning that He will take us by the hand, and He will lead you to what is true. And what I love about this, this time in our in your life, I'm life. I'm in my 30s. In your life, right? There's a lot of questions that you start to ask. I love that you ask questions because the Bible says, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. If you really want to know what's true, you will find out that Jesus is the truth. He will reveal himself. He says, if if you seek seek for me with all your heart, you will know me. Like it, it's something that God encourages us to do, is to ask questions of His Word, to ask questions of who He is. That God, you reveal yourself to me in your presence. Show me that you're real. And God will do it because He is the Spirit of truth. But there are a lot of lies out there. The Spirit is going to lead us, and I'm so thankful that He does. Um, he unfolds the treasures of truth to us. But how do we know if something is true? There's a lot of, like, hyper-spirituality and and things like that. Not that we were like, hey, don't be spiritual. Don't lift your hands. How dare you? Like, that's too spiritual. And, And, like, the Holy Spirit's ministering to you. Listen, the Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. Look what he says. But he will tell you the things to come and he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and he will declare it to you. So, Jesus says, How do you know if the Holy Spirit is working? We're not just here to glorify the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is working? How do you know if this is a work of the Holy Spirit? Is Jesus being exalted? Is Jesus being glorified? Is the the ministry about Jesus? Is the church about Jesus? Do they teach Jesus? Do they teach that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life? Then you will know that the Holy Spirit is working within it because it always emphasizes, glorifies, exalts Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's not over on the sideline like, man, I wish someone would pay attention to me. Trinity, I feel like the left out. Third wheel. <laughs> no. His job, his purpose, his joy is that he would draw all men to who? Jesus. He would draw all men to Jesus that we might have communion with the Father. I mean, it's this wonderful picture of him just passing us off and saying, this is who it's about. This is who we exalt. This is how we glorify Jesus. It's always with that intention that the Holy Spirit works. And if you know that the Holy Spirit is working or the work that, that's being done is true, is because it always emphasizes and glorifies Jesus. That is the test. Where do you stand on Jesus? Well, we just love the Holy Spirit. That's great. So do I. What do you believe about Jesus? You have to define your terms with people. If you've ever talked to um, our friends on the bicycles, if you've ever talked to, to the Mormons and they tell yeah, we love Jesus. Ah. Who is, ask them next time, who is Jesus to you? Well, he's the son of God. What do you mean by the son of God? He's the literal Born baby son of God from Mother God. That is a different Jesus. And his brother is Lucifer, the devil. Okay, that's a very different Jesus, isn't it? You need to define your terms. Who is Jesus to you? Is he Savior? Is he the Lord? I mean, and they'll say, yeah, we believe the same thing. No, we don't. My wife will call me every time the Mormons come over, and they're like, they're here again. I was like, just let the dog go. (laughs) Let him go, you know. (laughs) Just kidding. Release, Release. yeah, let my eight-year-old just pound on you, okay? No, but it's, it's really important that when we talk to people about Jesus, we have to define who he is. That means you need to know who he is. You need to know who he is. You need to know what you believe about Jesus. You know, and there used to be these shirts when I was a kid that, like, in junior high, all of my friends had. Like, Jesus is my homeboy. And you're like, cool. But, like, he's kind of like God overall, also. And, like, the creator of the known universe. And he's also kind of like the savior of your soul, you irreverent little punk. You know, like, <laughs> kind of like, Like, I don't know, it's kind of, you know, or those, you remember seeing that shirt, that's Jesus saves, he's a goalie. He's like, you ever seen that one? Where he's like jumping in front of a soccer goal, Jesus saves. You've never seen these? Come on, participate. You've never seen those, classic, great ones. But super irreverent. We needed to find who Jesus is. He's not a goalie, he is the savior of the world. Okay, shed his blood for our sin. All right. But he says, I got off track here. Hold on, let me get back on track. Verse 16, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? Isn't that a great little glory? Just a wonderful little sentence. Jesus is like, a little while, you won't see me. And then a little while, you're going to see me. And they're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Everyone's like, yeah, totally. You're pretending like you know what someone's talking about. And you don't know what they're talking about. This is me every Sunday morning, someone's like, "Yeah, hey, that was up." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. No idea. God bless you. No idea what you're saying. That's comforting to me that disciples did not know what Jesus was talking about. A little while, and I'll be with you. And then, a little while, I'm not going to be with you, and then you're going to see me again. They're like, <laughs> OK. <laughs> Thank you for the information? Like, can we be more ambiguous? What do you mean a little while? Like, what does that even mean? To, to God, like, a little while could be, like, who knows how long, right? We're always like, to God, a year is like a million years and, or whatever, or a shorter time, and we're like, God's outside of time. So Jesus is like, a little while, and they're like, dude, this is getting kind of irritating. Like, can you define some things for us? This is like my whole life, okay? You ever felt that way about God? Like, you're praying, and like, God, give me some direction in my life. And he's like, I will. And you're like, when? At what point? Because, like, I, this is kind of like my whole life here. Like, if you want to give me some information, that would be great. And you're like, I'm reading Leviticus, and it's not speaking to me. So, like, what am I supposed to do? You have to be real that way. The disciples felt the same way. Same way. So comforting. Like, what are you talking about? A little while. I will be gone. He says to them, For in a little while you will be sorrowful. And look, he says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, in a little while you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. <laughs> now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, in a while you will see me. So they're all whispering, like, "What? do you know what he's talking about? (laughs) I have no idea. Ask him. Somebody ask him. And Jesus is like, do you guys want to know what I'm talking about? And they're like, yes, please. I mean, I know, but maybe Peter doesn't know, so maybe for him, (laughs) he wanted to know. I know what you're talking about. Jesus says in verse 20, most surely I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy when he says to them that you will be sorrowful, he's speaking of his crucifixion that they will have to stand by and watch him be beaten to the point where he's unrecognizable as a man they will stand by and watch him being scourged his back being ripped open and bleeding and and his beard being plucked out and, and the crown of thorns being woven together and forced upon his head down into his skull Nine-inch, I mean, or not nine-inch, three-inch thorns. They're called the Jerusalem thorn. They're massive. These things are forced down into his head. They're going to watch as Jesus carries his cross for a mile, bleeding, sweating without strength, falling all the way to Golgotha, where he will lay upon a cross and be nailed. Nine-inch nails driven through his hands and his feet, hoisted up into the air, a, a spear driven through his side. And he hung there for six hours. And there was nothing they could do. They will experience sorrow like they've never experienced sorrow. For the next two days, all they did was sit in a room together and weep. And weep. What can we do? Our whole life is gone. And Jesus said, for a little while, you will be sorrowful. But that sorrow will be turned to joy because he will raise again from the dead. And these are things that they, that he's saying this, and they're like, what do you mean? He says, remember what I've told you, because when it happens, then it's all going to make sense. You're going to know. For a little while, you're going to experience pain and suffering, but that pain and sorrow is going to disappear in his presence as they see him face to face, their risen Savior. And the same with us that the pain and sorrow that we experience in our life will someday be a distant, far memory as we stand face to face in His presence. He compares it to childbirth in verse 21. It says, A woman, when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, right? But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you know how sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy, no one will be able to take from you." He likens it to childbirth and as a woman's going through labor and they're like, why did I do this? This is the worst experience. I remember my wife like, why? Why did we do this again? Like <laughs> number 4, she's like, "Never again." No. And, and just the pain that she goes through and and the and just like watching her go through all that and then the minute the baby's born and you're holding it there and it's like like there's she's smiling whereas before she was not smiling. And and just the joy that she has on her face and it's like immediately like you f- Kind of, maybe immediately. You'll have to ask her. But immediately, like, I forgot the pain that she was in. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, look at what's taking place. <laughs> you know? Like, woo! I'm so tired, man. I've been up for hours. You, know? <laughs> you don't say that kind of stuff. But um, that's what he likens it to is how, like, it, for, it's so hard and so difficult. But in a moment, all that changes because new life has come into the world. He says, for a moment, you're going to sorrow. But it's all going to be turned to joy, and no one will be able to take it from you. You read, If you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you you read these stories of Christians who would be led to their death, and they're singing hymns to God. You read of, of our brothers and sisters in Korea who were rolled over foot to head by a steamroller, and while the steamroller is going over them, they're being killed because they believe in Jesus, nothing else. They've committed no crime, they believed in Jesus, and they said, recant or die, and they just begin to sing hymns as a steamroller rolls over them, toe to head. Like, that's the joy that he says no one can take from you. Because although we sorrow for a moment, eternity will be filled with joy in the presence of God for all of eternity. He says um, in verse 23, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask, The Father in my name he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. And ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. One of the blessings and the things that he wrote to us um, that we would not stumble and that we would have peace in him is that we have answered prayers. Answered prayer. God answers our prayers. He links a joyful life to a prayer life. He says, are you stumbling? Are you struggling? Pray. Ask God. Speak to the Lord again. Communicate with him. And listen, there's nothing more difficult, I would say, other than reading the Bible than praying. <laughs> like reading the Bible for me is really hard. The minute, the minute I open it, my kids could care less if I'm alive. The minute I sit down, I'm like, you know what? I'm reading my Bible for a little bit. All of them just crawl on me and rip my pages and like take my pen and like drawing my face. And they're like, and I'm like, man, I can't read my Bible. Or, or the minute I start, I'm like, oh my goodness, I forgot to call my mom. And you start all these things that you forgot to do, or your mind is so cluttered with other things. Why is it so difficult? Because the devil knows there's life in the reading of the word. Not only that, but in praying, you start to pray, you're like, dear Lord, thank you for this day. That's stupid, I shouldn't start like that. What's a better way to start? Dear Heavenly Father, and you're like, how do I even have this conversation? I'm by myself, you know, and you kind of feel dumb or whatever. The the reason the devil will try and keep us from those things is because he knows that prayer is powerful and the word of God changes our life. As simple as those things are, and and the reason he keeps us from them is because of how much of an impact they make not only in our life but in the lives of others as we pray for them, as we pray God's blessing, as we pray God's provision, as we pray. Man, that's where the power exists. And Jesus says one of the, the joys will be you will have answered prayer. Ask anything in my name. Pray and ask God. Communicate with him. And he says, and it will be done that your joy may be full. Prayer life. In verse, move down to verse twenty-seven. It says, "For the Father Himself loves you, because you He you for the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father, and I've come into the world again. I leave the world to go to my Father." One of the other benefits that is described for us is the fact that we are loved by the Father. We are loved by God. He reminds them that the Father's love for them in these times when it's difficult, because it's in these times where we begin to wonder if God really does care, when things are tough, when things are hard. That's when the devil comes and whispers and said, if God really loved you, then you wouldn't be going through this, you wouldn't be struggling with this, you wouldn't experience this. We're going through the book of Ruth with the high school right now, when we started last night, and just watching the life of Naomi as she loses her husband and then loses her sons. And the pain that she experienced, God, God doesn't minimize her pain, but he also, in that through that story, we have to realize that our perspective is limited in what God is doing. So when we're going through something difficult, we have to know the truth, and that is we are loved by the Father. Because with each bend in the road, that grief, I think C.S. Lewis, he wrote in, in that book, um, a Grief Observed, he wrote that grief is like a winding road. And with each new turn around the bend is a different landscape. You don't know what's coming, what's going to be around the next corner. And so in those times of grief and difficulty and hardship and, and all of that, we have to be reminded of what is true. And that truth that Jesus just spoke into us is that God the Father loves you. And the Bible always points us back to the proof of it. And that is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins while we were still sinners. Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5 says. This is how we know that we are loved by the Father. That he sent his son to take our penalty upon the cross. And that by faith we would have everlasting life. Verses 29 through 31. His disciples said to him, see now you are speaking plainly. And using no figure of speech, now we are sure that you, you know all things. And you have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. And they're like, see, now we get it. Like all you do is speak plainly. Now you're like not using like pictures and lessons. Like, thanks. Like now we understand. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't know. But do you now believe? He says, indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own. And will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The last blessing and reminder. These things I have written to you that we might have peace. The last one is that Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome the world. He has beat it. He beat sin. He beat death. He beat the ruler of this world, which was Satan. He beat him there on the cross. He has overcome the world. And he just reminds them, listen, you're going to have tribulation. It's going to be hard. Tribulation is this word that it's derived from, from the idea of a wine press or, or a, an oil press where the olive is crushed and smashed. It's then placed into this, this bag that then is, gr- is, is pressed between these two stones and all of that oil is then pouring out of it. He says, that's tribulation. You will be crushed. But as you are crushed, life comes forth. Holy Spirit begins to shine through. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And if Jesus is our victor, right? We too are victors. If Jesus lives, we also shall live. Christ has gone before us. He's taken care of everything for us. He's given us salvation in his son. Um, By the death on the cross, he's conquered sin and he conquered death. That we should, should no longer die. Like death lost. It doesn't have the final word in our life. Um, and that's, that's the thing that Jesus says. I, I write these things to you that you would have peace. I've overcome the world. Like don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. You have the spirit of God dwelling with, within you. Don't be succumb with fear and worry as to what will take place in your life. Yes, you will be persecuted. Yes, you will go through difficulty. Yes, you will go through tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome all of those things. I mean, it's just like this stamp on the whole conversation. They're like, yeah, we believe now. He's like, no, 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 listen. You need to believe this right here. If you believe all of this, you need to really put your foot on this stone and take heart and really, because what's going to be tested ahead, you need to have this solidified. Believe this, I have overcome. I've overcome the world. Jesus in, verse, in chapter 17 is going to pray for himself. It's a powerful prayer. An amazing closing statement as we enter towards, I mean, Easter is coming and we're right there. I didn't even plan that. Jesus did. But we're right there. Guys, you know, Ash Wednesday and Lent happened and, and you know, people were coming out here with things on their forehead. Listen, this is the start. The reason that that's all happening, okay, it is for the church not to just have stuff on your forehead, not just to like go to church and be like, yeah, cool, I'm going to give up this for 45 days. It is to prepare our hearts for what is coming. Good Friday, Easter. You ever notice, okay, we finish our year. I'm going to finish with this. I promise. We finish our year. We're like, yeah, Jesus came and as a baby. And ah, here's a gift, the greatest gift we ever received. Anyway, you know, Jesus came and, you know, it's my birthday. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Jesus kind of stole my thunder. Uh, and, and we kind of end this year with what? New Year's resolutions. I'm still in, you know, anyone make a New Year's resolution? No one? All right, yeah, way to set your goals high. Um, yeah, like, if I just have no resolutions, then I won't be disappointed. But if you set any kind, right, about February-ish is when you realize, like, oh, man, I forgot I wasn't going to eat gluten this year. As you down, like, a whole blaze pizza, and you're like, oh, man, <laughs> oops. Well, I guess I'm, I've already given in, so I might as well keep going, right? But it's like this. It's a setup for this, like, disappointment those of you who are still at the gym, like, keep going. God bless you. You look like you go. Like, praise God. (laughs) Right? Like, (laughs) We're like, I'm going to the gym. And then like, nah, I'm not going to go. All of a sudden we we realize, like, I failed again. I failed again. I started out like I was ready to charge. I was going to change my life. I failed again. I failed again. And as we come to Easter, we're reminded that our sins are forgiven, that Christ is enough. Do you ever realize why it's in the That's why it's right there at that time of year. We celebrate what Jesus did on the cross because my failure, he then came and was victorious. Where I failed, he succeeded. And we celebrate what Christ did for us. So it's not just giving up something for Lent, or it's not just this or whatever. It's about preparing our hearts and reorienting our life around Jesus and the sacrifice that he made as we move into the, the later part of our year. Again, just re, revamping ourselves again. Yes, it's about the cross. It's about Jesus. That's what my life is about. And then we move into you know Christmas again and we're like, ah, he came to save me. Yes. And we Again, just re- always making sure that our, our life is revolving around Christ. So, let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for um, the work that you've done in our hearts and in our life. And Jesus, we thank you that you've written these things in your word. That we might have joy, that we might have peace. Um, in all of the craziness that is going on in our, our world. and it just seems like there's so much uncertainty and just so much... It's just a wild time to be alive. Lord, we know that you're coming back. We know that you're coming soon. And so, Lord, as you told your disciples, don't lose heart. I've written this down for you, that you would have peace in a time of great turmoil. And when, when there's social unrest and there's all these injustices and all this stuff going on, he says, I, I've written this to give you peace. Stay in my truth. Stay in my word. I've given you my spirit. and We're so thankful that you have. But if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you, has never asked you to be their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you tonight their, in their own heart just to ask you to come into their life and to, to save them from their sin, from the only sin that will keep them out of heaven, which is the sin of unbelief in Jesus said. And the Spirit comes to convict men of that sin, that they would believe and find everlasting life. And so, God, we pray that you do a new and fresh work here at our church, in our community, bringing many to, to the saving knowledge of Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen.